0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So we have been spending the last few weeks working through a sermon series on a biblical worldview of creation care, born out of uh, my research for my master's thesis, and today is the last Sunday in that four-part series. And we're going back to the beginning. We started our sermon series in Genesis 1, and we are returning there again Uh, for our foundation and understanding, because uh, as the the title of my thesis uh, speaks about the biblical worldview for Christian identity and participation in God's reconciliation of all things, we've looked at um, the relationship between God, humanity, and the natural world. In the first week exploring God and how he views his creation, all of it, and how much he loves it and is invested in it, wanting it to be returned to a state of good harmony and flourishing. The next week we looked at then Jesus' relationship to the natural world and humanity, how his mission to bring about reconciliation and peace extends far beyond just our own personal salvation but to the ends of all the earth, including everything that God has ever created under that mission of salvation. And then last week, we looked then at the relationship that the natural world then has not only with us, but also with God, the voice that creation has, the way it speaks, it cries out seeking justice and the responsibility that starts to come out of that. And so today, we're gonna look into that identity piece, that Christian identity marker, because it's not just enough to come and say, well, this is what you should do. This, these are the ways you should live. Because identity is what precedes action. None of us want to act in a way that is contrary to who we believe we are, the values that we hold. It would be incredibly painful for an honest person to lie. Because at the core of who you are, determines what you do. And identity is such a huge piece to it, right? And it is this idea of we are what we do that... We're going to wrestle with today, and I'm going to challenge it a little bit, because it does go beyond simply what we do. As I was, you know, looking at over all the kids that we had that we were sending out to Sunday school this morning, one of the most popular questions that I remember getting asked while in school, which is really quite recent as well, is what do you want to be when you grow up? Right, in that question, what do you want to be when you grow up, it expects an answer of a career, of a path. As small kids, you know, me and my friends, we'd all answer, oh, we want to be NHL superstars, play in the Stanley Cup. And then as you get older and you realize that you haven't playing, been playing hockey since you were two, you start to change it a little bit and think, oh, maybe I want to be a police officer, a firefighter, a doctor, um, you know, a garbage uh, collector. You start to think about different things, but it all comes back to that question of what do you want to be? be and that question seems to link our identity with then our occupation our career what we do defines who we are and so i want to push back on that a little bit and then as i stand up here sunday after sunday and preach and tell you these are some of the things you should do i want that sense of obligation of task of career of occupation all to come from who we consider ourselves to be because that is something I believe is far more central to this conversation of creation care. Because if it was just about the science, if it was just about these are the good things you should do, well, we wouldn't have a problem of climate change. But it goes so much deeper than that, that our wrestling with how to address our failings as humanity towards the natural world comes down to who we think we are and how we should respond and work out of that. And so today, we're going to look a little bit first at the task that is set before us because i titled this sermon imago day which is the latin for image of god which is something really popular in christian circles to talk about that we are all made in the image of god and i'm sure you've all heard that at least once at least twice probably many times in slogans of christian schools or ministries valuing other people because they are made in the image of god but Would it shock you to learn that that phrase only occurs three times in all of Scripture? Only three times. Only three times in all of our Christian Scripture are we referred to as being made in the image of God. But it's one of those phrases, like reconciliation, that while not explicitly used is the undercurrent and the foundation upon which a lot of our ideas are built. But what does it mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of god because it's a lot more than just being ten fingers and ten toes two eyes a nose and a mouth it's far deeper and far more significant than just our physiology and as we look into scripture we see that there is a task and a function associated with it and so that's why we go back to the beginning why we go back to genesis to understand that when humanity was made in the image of god What was God saying about that? What did it mean? And so we see in Genesis the word rule being repeated. This idea of being in power and authority over all of creation. That to be made in the image of God, it carries this sense of rule. We also saw that in Psalm chapter 8, a psalm that lauds God as creator, his awesome in power, but it also then recognizes that humanity has been given the authority to rule over all, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that creeps and crawls on the face of the earth. But What does this mean? How are we to rule? It is such a big and broad function. How? Because as we think about our upcoming election, the character and the identity of a particular politician defines the way that they seek to rule, the way they seek to govern, People are not going to enter into politics, we would hope, with a false sense of identity and trying to bait and switch us. That they are going to stand for what they believe in, for the values they hold, and they are going to govern and rule appropriately. And so I'd like to invite you to, if you're already still in the Psalms, to turn to Psalm 72. this is kind of my go-to passage to understand the ways in which we are to talk about ruling this is a a psalm of solomon a kingly psalm where he lays out what a ruler is supposed to do and he talks and you can find in verse 8 It says he may he rule from sea to sea from the river to the ends of the earth it's this big cosmic sense that to rule to truly rule in a manner and fashion after god it is big in its task. Nothing is excluded. But if we jump ahead to verse 12, we see a little bit more of the task. It says, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted that have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy in death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. This goes back to the ideas that we explored last week, the idea that to participate in relationship with creation is to seek justice and that is part of this ruling function that solomon talks about here in psalm 72 is that to rule it inherently is massive in scope but one of the primary functions of a ruler of a good king in this era according to the law of god is to seek justice to lift up the weak and the needy to rescue the oppressed It's to look out for those that have no power. And so if we, as made in the image of God, have been given the power and the authority to rule over all the earth, then our responsibility, what we do with that is to be breakers of chains, to be rescuers. And this is something for all of us, not just for kings and governors. Because in the ancient Near East, the idea of being an image was something reserved just for the king. Only the kings, such as kings like King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon or King Darius in Persia, they were seen as the ones, the only one who would image their gods. They were their gods' representative on earth and they ruled on their behalf. This was not something for ordinary men and women. This was a special task reserved for a select few. But genesis here genesis 1 26 says let us make humanity in our image in our likeness so that they may rule this task this kingly task of ruling this kingly task of imaging the god almighty is something that belongs to every single one of us we all share that identity we all share that royal ruling task together and that responsibility to address oppression and injustice at every turn This is part of what it means to rule, part of what it means to be in the image of God. This is part of what we do. But we continue. We continue in Genesis chapter 2 to look for more of these tasks because it still is easy to understand who we are supposed to be through the things we do. So Genesis 2.15, as we read this morning, it says that the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so this gives us perhaps a little bit of a deeper look at this ruling function as god intended it to be in the garden and so i want to look at two words in there the word work and the word take care of because we have i think a pretty good working knowledge of what it means to work and care for in our own culture in our own society and these are certainly things that have cultural value and cultural nuances But as we have done week after week, we're going to try and blow it up to the massive scale and see how these threads work commonly through all of our different circumstances and context. So, when we look into Genesis 2.15, we see the Hebrew word abad, to work and to serve. And so when we're put in the garden to work, it is not as someone who rules from on high, who dictates how things are to be, who exploits nature for their own personal benefit no when god put humanity into the garden of eden placed them on this earth it was to serve the natural world that god had created to serve the world to serve god it's a position of humility and posture of lifting up like we saw in psalm 72. so we see that there is this idea of working and serving all And some commentators see this as foreshadowing agriculture, animal husbandry, the beginnings of cultural development. And this is certainly something to see, that we are told to work the land, to transform it, to participate in its cycles and seasons. But all of that with the sense of lifting up the world and the natural environment and all of its inhabitants around us. We're called to rule as servants. And then we also have to take care of, shamar, And this carries the sense of guarding, of protecting, of stewarding. Of stewarding then the resources that God has in a way that leads them to flourishing. And this is a really fantastic word that we find embedded in here because it is a word that even though we don't use it so much in our regular context, perhaps because we don't speak Hebrew, it comes up in our services time and time again for in Numbers 6 24 the priestly blessing that we are familiar with the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious these words that we hear often at the end of a service as we leave from this place in Numbers it says the Lord bless you and shamar you the Lord keep you the Lord take care of you the Lord guard and protect you so the very sense that we invoke of God of saying God you have promised to care and protect us in all the ways of our lives that is the same responsibility that god has placed on humanity for his creation and so the same way that we expect god to care for us is the way that we should look out to the natural world to our brothers and sisters everything in the cosmos to care for it to keep to guard to protect it and this is something that has been existent from the beginning something that is pervasive throughout all of Scripture. is looking out for those that are needy and oppressed to care, to guard, to serve, to protect. This is what we are called to do. This is what it means to do as being made in the image of God. But why? Why? There's got to be that deeper why question, right? Why is this something to do? How, and how have we messed it up so bad? So I want to spend then some time looking at what it really means to be made in his likeness. What is this language trying to communicate to us? Does it go simply deeper than just a task and a to-do list of caring, protecting, seeking justice? All very good things, but things we inherently struggle with. And perhaps we struggle with them because we don't fully understand who we are. And that's a lifelong journey to understand for sure. And I don't wanna put any pressure on you to simply walk out of this church and to have an understanding of this is what it means to be made in the image of God and therefore you're gonna live perfectly. I'm not gonna put that on any of you. That is 100% unfair. I can't even put that on myself. But we do have a lot of hope and that's that's where we're gonna land on at the end of this. So to be made in the image and likeness of God, The second time we see it in scripture is in Genesis chapter 5, where it says God created humanity. He made them in the likeness of God. And this section is talking about the genealogy of Noah, and so it starts to follow up with a familiar pattern of when so-and-so lived so many years. They had a son and named them this. But what's really interesting is the way that they describe that process. For here in Genesis 5, 3, it says when Adam had lived 133 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him seth. Again, we see that being made in the image of someone else is far deeper than just physiology. For in this context, it's not so much about what you do, but what you look like, but it's about who you belong to. Being made in the image of someone indicates a sense of belonging, but a familial relationship For just as Seth was made in the image of Adam his father, so too are we made in the image of God our Father. And for the peoples of the Old Testament, this was about a value system. To be made after the image of God was to uphold his values. Just like as parents, you want to instill your values on your children. You want to teach them what is important, what is right, what is good to do as you have understood it. You want to teach them to live in your likeness. Not to follow you like little puppets word for word, but you want them to be their own person but to have that solid foundation of your familial value set. And this is the exact same thing that God wants for us. This is exactly what God means when he says that we are made in his image. He says, I want you to know you are my children and I want you to learn who I am as your father and to value what I value, to love what I love, and to uphold what I uphold it's less about work it's less about doing and it's more about being it's more about who you are regardless of what you do because throughout life we all have limitations to what we do none of us can do all things at all times as we age as life stages change as abilities come and go if we tie our identity to our ability to rule well to rule perfectly we are going to feel inadequate and fall short but our identity as image bearers of god is not bound up in what we do but it is bound up in who our father is but of course we still struggle It's not easy to always love what God loves. It is not always easy to value what he values, and we wrestle with that in our own strength, knowing that it is not enough, that sin has corrupted our being so much that we cannot do it, that we do stray time and time again. But of course, the good news is that Christ redeems our image. Christ redeems our image-bearingness. It is not something that has been lost because of the fall, because the next time we see it in Scripture is in Genesis chapter nine after the flood when God reiterates that mankind is made in the image of God to re-emphasize the value of each and every life. So we are still made in the image of God. Still today, we image him each and every day. But imperfect as we are, we have hope. And this hope comes in Jesus Christ. So we return to Colossians. And it says that the Son, this being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation jesus also made in the image of god the son of god is that perfect image bearer he is the image he is the type the one who perfectly upholds and lives after the values of the father he is the original image he's not a copy he is god through and through he is human through and through and he sets an example for us so whenever we are struggling to know how do we live life in our current culture we look to christ to so the one who pressed in his own cultural context to pick sides to do what was right or wrong always found a higher way a way that valued god when pushed to answer why he would heal on the sabbath he responds with such kindness to say is it not good to heal To bring life on a day of rest that glorifies god of course paraphrasing because jesus always found a better way to do because he knew who he was he knew who he belonged to he knew who his father was and so he always acted well he always acted with the interests of the needy and the oppressed looking out for those that were marginalized because he knew who he was And so we are invited into this ministry of doing, born out of our identity, this ministry of reconciliation. For all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation is not unlike this ministry of caring, of protecting, of Abad and Shamar. Because we have been invited into it by Jesus. As we read in Romans, we are co-heirs to all that Jesus has, coming alongside him. We share in this ministry of peace. The first step is experiencing peace. So if you're struggling with what it means to value what God has valued, seek your own peace first. Seek that peace that passes understanding. Ask God to make it known in your heart. Because it's out of that posture that we can become those preachers and agents of peace. Because what we do flows out of who we are and how we experience God each and every day. Experiencing not as a distant, far-off God that's uninvested in this world, but as a close father. All-powerful, all-loving. Someone who is invested in each and every one of you. Cares so deeply that he calls you his children. And so we are invited to pick up that mantle of serving and protecting of caring and keeping god's world that has not been thrown aside but it has been given a new dimension by who jesus is in the ministry that he has brought for as our relationship with the earth has been fractured christ has charted a way forward through his death and resurrection through grace and it comes not by giving us more to do, but by reminding us who we are, made in the image of God, his children. And so creation care, care for the natural world, it's intrinsic to who we are. We can't escape it, we cannot pretend to say that's not something I have time to care about, it's not something I think is important, because it is immensely important to God. It is an incredible value that he holds and has upheld throughout all of time and he has passed it on to us his children and he gives us the means of tackling this broken relationship by means of the cross that death and resurrection of jesus that we celebrate on sundays that we celebrate next week when we come to the table that he has charted a way forward And we are going to stumble, we are going to fall, we are going to fail. But we can never mess things up enough that God's grace cannot cover it. And this is the good news. That as we leave from this place with something to do, to care for our creation, to tackle the effects of climate change and environmental degradation, something that is in our core to do, know that each and every one of you is equipped to be these preachers and ministers of peace by virtue of the spirit given to us and facilitated by our risen lord and savior so brothers and sisters in christ as you go out be encouraged be inspired and talk with one another about what you can do to uphold the values of your father in heaven let us pray god almighty we thank you so much that you created us in your image that it tells us that we are your beloved children that you are our father that from the beginning you have desired for us to live in this world to care for it to keep it just as you care for and keep us forgive us for the ways that we have sought to exploit your natural world for our own benefit putting our own sinful values above your own But thank you that for even when we have done this you still sent your son your perfect image the image of god to die for us so that we may have new life in your spirit that we may go out and better live after your value system to simply be your children without having to do anything to earn your love heavenly father Make our identity in you known deep in our hearts, and let that be the place that all of our actions flow out of as your beloved children. Amen.